Welcome to this episode's Testing Peers. We're going to carry on with the Ask Me Anything and the questions that you as our listeners sent in a couple of weeks ago. So thank you very much for those. With us tonight, we have all four of us. So I have myself, David. We have Chris. Aloha. Simon. Howdy. And Russell. Hello. And we are delighted to still be sponsored by Saffron QA. Saffron QA are specialists in testing recruitment and they provide a range of bespoke recruitment services to organisations across the UK. If you want to find more details about Saffron QA, please look at the show notes or visit their website at saffronqa.co.uk. So let's pass over to Chris. So there's a lot of questions that we've been receiving and that's been really wonderful. But I wondered if there's any question in particular you've ever been asked or that you dread being asked. So as in, what's the worst kind of question you could be asked? What do you hate being asked by people? Why did the testers miss this? That's one I always hate. And it's one I always respond to in a very abrupt, almost angry way. That question just grates me every time I hear it. And I may, maybe I've been unlucky in my, in, my, in my roles and it's one I've heard quite a lot, but it's one that definitely winds you up the wrong way. One thing that frustrates me, and I, I only ever had it once, not in this current company, was that where is that particular bug in detail? And we're not going to move from here until you actually tell me the answer when actually you probably don't know and you need to do more investigation. But it's, yeah, it's frustrating that people don't always appreciate that you don't have all the answers immediately, especially if you only just found the bug. Mine's going to be, when's it done? When are we going to ship it? How long will it take? All those sort of themes of questions. Usually about a week into a project of about six months worth of work. Love that one. Yeah, I can cover that one. That's uh, that's one of those that's um, when you're two days into a project and you get someone going, okay, you've had enough time to understand the project now. Can you give me an estimate of how long it's going to take you? Mine is basically when somebody who you're not having a regular chat with suddenly says, you've got time for a quick chat. Or your boss. <laughs> or your boss's boss. But, yeah. I, I always make sure that I never, or try not to ever use the word quick in chat because it may be a quick question, but it may not necessarily be a quick answer. Mm, very good. You've met me and Simon, haven't you? We don't answer things quick. But speaking of quick, we should probably move right on to the um, questions we've got. So, um, Simon, you've got the first question for us. I have, Yes. So the first question is from Melissa Fisher. What career options are there for testers? Russell, I'll come to you first. Everything. The ones that you're kind of best suited towards, I guess, are developer, BAs of this world, project managers, delivery managers, but it could be UX designer. It could be becoming an astronaut, to be quite honest. I do think that you know, your inquisitive mindset, the ability to kind of problem solve, think around it, deal with multiple stakeholders, gives you a very broad range of skills that are reusable in most fields. Myself, I've been a delivery manager most recently. I don't think that there's any doors that are closed to you. Do you've covered a lot of career options there are for testers outside of testing? Mm-hmm. I guess for, for testers, you know, there's your sort of classic path up through management, but there's also architects and leaders, head of, coaches, CTOs, CEOs. 
you know, like you say, the opportunities are endless. You don't have to leave your craft. You can go into high paid consultancy if you're a specialist. Potentially, I would, I wouldn't know. You know, I think there really are sort of limitless options. If if there's things you're interested in, things you can press into. I think the same. What it seems to be with anything is the ability to learn. Don't never lose your ability and your enthusiasm to learn because whatever career path you choose you can always make new opportunities for you by trying something new like we've done in the other episodes of make a tester you know we we can encourage people that are non-testers into the testing community and once they're there you can then make your own path and do whatever you want to you can go into management you can go into automation you can specialize in particular areas look at security testing and or ai or you know there is so many different options but i think that also as russell said you know you can have so many hats because you have that broad overview you can have a lot of coverage and actually it's really amazing how many in my experience lots of scrum masters seem to be testers and so therefore because they have that understanding they have that empathy of an organization skills and understanding of everything that needs to be done in a particular order and the effect that that has on other things. And I think that that's, that sort of speaks volumes. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's definitely a, a mindset that any good tester has that can apply themselves to a, var- a variety of roles. Like David said, I was a scrum master as, um, in my, one of my earlier roles. Once I became a tester, it was a role that I, I enjoyed and I felt it was, I had the right mindset to be able to, to to make sure the team did the right things at the right times within the Scrum process. I think we've covered all the roles that I would have suggested, but I do think you literally can lend your hand to whatever you feel within, with it, whether it be in tech, whether it be outside of tech. If you've got the, the testing mindset, you can apply that anywhere. Should we move on? Yes. So this one is from Melissa Fisher. And what did you like doing outside of work, apart from obviously recording this podcast? And looking after the kids. And looking after Chris. Chris. Looking after Chris. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> looking after Chris. Well, so I mean, in this, in this most recent year, there's not been a lot of scope for doing much outside of the kids. Like my kids have started getting into Nintendo, so we've been doing a little bit of that. I like cooking with the children, like on the trampoline as far as time for myself and hobbies are concerned there's not been a lot of room for that I kind of felt like my mind's been quite busy but pre-pandemic certainly I was playing tennis every week I was still attempting to play the rhythm guitar badly in fact I was successfully playing the rhythm guitar badly and I would try and read but in this last year my mind has kind of been a bit jammed so the reading and the sort of creative stuff hasn't been so easy to come by so sort of more immediate sort of comfort things like tv pizza chocolate children games those sorts of things have been my go-to youtube those sorts of things it's not very exciting i'm really quite boring yeah before the pandemic i was still semi-regularly going to peterborough night football matches i was playing tennis we need. I need to play you someday, Chris. I'm sure, we could do that as a charity event. I mean, I'm I'm rubbish. It'd be very quick. <laughs> I'm rusty now. Uh, yeah, I, I used to run regularly, which actually the pandemic has killed my motivation for doing that. Partly because I'm sat at a desk all day and I don't really feel like motivating myself to run. But now it's 
it's mainly focused around doing activities with the kids, whether it be trampolining, walking, well, mostly walking at the moment, but yeah, it will get back to doing fun things with the kids again. That's, that's the main focus. From my perspective, pre-pandemic, because I think we're all referencing that a little bit, it was probably getting involved in meetups quite heavily, conferencing, testing, related post-work activities, mixed in with gaming, as I think Chris has said. After pandemic, so after, was it March the 23rd or something, um, it was uh, doing very little uh, cycling, walking, exercising a little bit more, uh, and now it's looking after a dog that's kind of more of a hobby. Yeah, I would, I would concur with that one. For me, it's been the same both before and after the lockdown. It's really running, uh, keep it trying to keep myself fit and outside. And that's not always been easy to motivate myself in lockdown, but uh, I've managed to maintain most of it all the time. You're looking very trim, David. That's <laughs> good. You. So uh, move on to the next question. So this is from Ben for snack tester. Doan, sorry, Ben, saying your name. It's tricky. It looks like it should be Darren. Maybe you should just change it. So what is the best bug you found? Now, we covered this a little bit in our very first episode, but maybe you've thought of another bug that you found that was kind of fun. I was demoing a tool quite recently, and there was a cue card that when you move the cue card around on the screen, everything went a little bit crazy. It was quite a fun little graphical glitch. It looked like it was a bit of a disco. That's quite a fun bug recently. What about you, Simon? I was thinking of this, it's not work-related one, but just playing with, it's actually on Mario Kart. I found a very, very interesting bug on one of the, it must have been a few weeks ago now, but where the car would freeze, but the whole background and stuff was still moving. It seemed to be partly to do with the turning the phone landscape-wide to see to see the race, and that seemed to be quite interesting. I don't get to find bugs very often at the moment. I think the one I recalled back in the first episode was one of my early ones to do with different OSs. As always, I can't remember any bug I found. I've definitely seen bugs, definitely seen them. But I can't yeah, recall. I say, don't ask me either. I can't, can't remember any, apart from the one that I said before. So sorry about that. We are scarred by bugs. That's what it is. So what we're saying is tune in to episode one of the Testing Peers <laughs> podcast if you want to find out more. Okay, we'll move on to the next question. This one is from Anonymous, also known as Chris Armstrong. What was your favourite episode to record? I'll answer this one first. I mentioned it before, but I think I think I mentioned it in the last anime. I honestly, the most fun I had was recording the the Christmas episode when we had our friends in. We did some storming. We had a bit of Christmas fun. It was wonderful fun. I'd agree that was probably one of the most favourite to record. More people, more fun, more banter. Not just you three people. <laughs> the one we did at Eurostar when we had some live feedback. There was a live chat feed going on. There was a Q and A. That was a lot of fun as well. I think lots of them, I wouldn't necessarily pick out one as a favourite. I enjoy most of them because I learn something in every one. It's always fun chatting on a podcast and giving something back to the community. So I don't really necessarily have a favourite. I mean, it was fun with having other people on, something different. But yeah, I just enjoy everyone. The whole time we were recording it, David, you were thinking about the stresses of editing it, though, weren't you? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then I listened to it and it's even worse than I thought. So yeah, that's brilliant. I would say from, from a personal project perspective, uh, recording the Maker Tester one was a highlight for me. But I think, as David just uh, alluded to, every episode we record, it's another evening with friends talking rubbish, recording it, and actually getting something, <laughs> some kind of uh, socialising out of it. 
that doesn't involve kids or dogs, which is quite nice. Or running. Or running. <laughs> Melissa again. How do you think testing will change over the next 20 years? Well, that's 10 years further than our 2030 yeah, episode. Yeah, say we did My a 2030 goodness. episode, didn't we? So maybe we need to do a 2040 episode on the back of that as well. How do we think it will change in a further 10 years? We can be even more incorrect than Back to the Future yeah, exactly. got to in there, the second <laughs> film. Can I jump in first with that one? Yes. I still maintain what I said in that 2030 episode, that we will still be going around the same loops of automation, manual testing, check, test, whatever the same discussions we'll be having, but in the background, we'll all be working on, on the latest technologies and latest stuff and still finding defects and still proving our worth as a trade. There'll still be the arguments that we're, you know, testers are not needed anymore. All the developers can do it. But again and again, they'll still be proven that we're needed in certain scenarios. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think the world will evolve, the world will move on, but the role will still be there in some form and we'll be doing similar things to what we're doing now. I would agree with that because I think at the end of the day, software is written by humans. And so therefore, or might, in the future, it might not necessarily always be written by humans, but there will always be a human element in it. So there will be mistakes built in. There will need to be some sort of testing as part of that. And then therefore the maintenance of those tests. So, yeah. I'm going to say in 20 years time, there'll be a lot more AI within testing and there'll be a lot more machine learning within testing. But as you said, that will not get rid of testers. It will just change some of the skills and the knowledge and the learning they'll have to do to set these systems up in many ways and to kind of edit them, maintain them. And I think there'll be a movement away possibly from Agile. I'll be controversial. I think it'll still be a thing, but I think it may be less the big thing. And I think DevOps might be past its peak and they might be moving on to something else like continuous flow models or some other things. But in 20 years time, They'll still all be around. It's like waterfall is still around now. It won't go out the window. But I think we might be having another conversation over another conceptual model. There'll be a bunch of new thought leaders. There'll be a bunch of new models. I think we won't, won't see the days of having huge testing houses or huge blocks of testing teams. But I imagine that testing will still exist and the specialists will still be required. But in what form... I, I couldn't couldn't say. I mean, I was talking about it with a colleague today and sort of saying that, you know, sure, AI and things like that and, and automation should get better and more efficient and things. And um, so your sort of requirement for specialism, for analysis, for lots of the other parts of software quality on the road, that may be a, where we go. Who knows? Hopefully I'll still be a part of it. I hope so. Maybe, you know, trying to smash out this podcast still. I do think just what you said about no test houses may be a thing of the past. I do think test consultancy, though, and I say that sitting here with three consultants, I do think that's probably going to grow. I think there'll be more need for those specialist Good. consultants and, and coaches that come into organizations and help them improve their testing processes without bringing a horde of testers with along into the environment, but actually just helping the existing organization improve their quality practices. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Definitely, I think there'll be a lot more of that assistance in testing versus kind of all the expertise being in-house. Okay, next question. And actually, I'm going to go out on a limb here and combine a few. So Melissa Fisher says, what's your favourite snack? But also we have Ben Dowen, who says, what's your third favourite snack? 
and I'm going to add to that because I feel sorry for the second. Let's include the second <laughs> favourite snack as well. So what you're saying is ranking our top three snacks. Yes. Um, and, we're, and we're combining sweet and savoury at this point, I assume. Yes. But it, it snack has to be a food, not a drink. Yes. Right, okay, fine. Need to get the context right. I'll, I'll go first because I'm quite quick on these sorts of things typically. Right, number one, pizza. I know it's a meal, but it's also a snack. Don't, you know, fight me. Number two, dairy milk, slava chocolate, simple, plain, delicious and delightful. And then number three probably is the chocolate hobnobs. You didn't mention Jaffa cakes. No, no, because Jaffa cakes are like a a pudding, a delicacy. They're not a snack. (laughs) Like just different level. Like when you you eat 30 at a time, I don't mean that counts as a snack. That's a meal, to be fair. So, Simon? I like my chocolate. I'm not going to work, work out the top three because it's, it's too difficult to decide. Dairy milk of some kind, especially the one with the dime bar bits in. I love that. That's probably my favourite chocolate bar. The dairy milk with the dime bar bits in. That's that's nice. I like my crisps, particularly really salt and, salt and vinegar flavoured ones. The co-op's own salt and vinegar crisps are probably the best salt and vinegar crisps I've tasted. They're, so they're in there. And then third one i like my brie cheese i do sometimes take a nibble of a piece of cheese without anything else with it so i guess that's a snack but i try to limit that because it's not very good for me apparently even though chocolate and crisps are not good either so for me i was going to go down a cheese route as well i think that my number one would be uh, either stilton or brie or camembert or something especially if they're cooked or whatever, that, that would be my uh, number one number two would be chocolate buttons like chocolate buttons the large ones or the, or the normal size ones the normal ones are too small these days surely yeah, yeah they're too small as an adult they're too small so yeah always the big ones <laughs> and then my third one it would be dry you know a bowl of dried shreddies just as dried to, shreddies yeah interesting wow there you go that's the nugget of thing i've learned tonight so from my perspective it's probably crisps uh, to start with and i probably have to put pringles is it sour cream that's probably yeah the top because it's addictive after that it's chocolate i've got there's a particular chocolate from waitrose called number one i think it's their own brand 65 percent cocoa and it's like it's the best chocolate ever and then after that it's kind of the hobnobs i can't deny a good hobnob get in for the hobnobs now i want to snack. yeah i'm hungry now well good news is on the topic of snacks Melissa's absolutely smashing it with the questions. What is your favourite movie, book or band? But I think that's a bit of a get out clause for everyone. So I want to know what your favourite movie, book and band are. I don't know one thing that answers all three at once. Sorry. Yeah. You can miss three separate things. There's commas. Just go with it. Imagine the Oxford comma exists in this question. I love my music. I probably can't narrow it down to one band, but my top three bands would be Arctic Monkeys, Bowling for Soup, and probably Skinny Lister at the moment. They're, they're the three. I probably wouldn't be able to tell you my favourite one out of those three. Film, I've always loved the Shawshank Redemption. But on the opposite end of the scale, I also absolutely love the Austin Powers movies. And books, I can't really say anything else than the Game of Thrones books. I've read them a couple of times now. I do enjoy those fantasy-style books. Film-wise, it would be Wonderful Life. I think it's a classic and really love it. Music, I'm torn between Muse or Queen. Mm. 
if I was kind of wanting to chill out a bit more, it'd be more like to be queen, just relax. If I was wanting to kind of listen intently, I'd probably go more of a muse. And book-wise, it'd be Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm. So for me, I'm with Simon that Shawshank Redemption is my favourite film. It's a good film. Book, I would have to just... I'm not a massive reader, so I would have to say one of the Harry Potters as much because I've read... I was a fan when they first came out and I've read, read them so many times to the kids. So I I can't pick which one, but they're all quite good. And band, just to throw back to my sort of teenage times would be, have to be the Eurythmics. And I still listen to them today. Eurythmics, fantastic. My favourite movie is Back to the Future. And I don't care that it's wrong and it's out of date. It's wonderful and it takes me to a wonderful place. Happy memories. I love it very much. Uh, I even did a party for the uh, anniversary in 2015. So my favourite band probably is Linkin Park. I loved them from the new metal days to when they went a bit sort of like techie DJ magic um, to all the other stuff. I've, I've always enjoyed their stuff. Um, favourite book is probably Sophie's World by Justine Gorda. I quoted it, really long quote in the one when I did the Lego thing that everyone really enjoyed. That was Make a Tester, wasn't it? it was. the quote that was longer than our episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are welcome. You don't need to buy the book anymore. Another one by Melissa. If you could choose an alternative career, what would it be? And I'm going to start with Simon. I think we briefly talked about this on a previous episode as well. I'd still have an interest in it and I would be tempted if I fancied a big career change I would would still look at it but I really enjoyed the idea of going into computer forensics and working on sort of crime scene computery stuff that was what I was set to do after university and I think that would be something I would choose to do if I if I had the opportunity to for me I would go back to again my roots and and as an ex-teacher I would probably want to do go into training and help educate and coach future people in something <laughs> future people sound exciting i think if, if, if i think ultimately about what sort of thing like if it was nothing to do with software i quite like the idea of i quite like sort of thinking of big pictures and finding patterns and telling stories and things so like storyboarding things that could lead to books or programs or movies and stuff i think i'd really enjoy doing it. i'm pretty sure no one would ever hire me to do it but i think i'd i'd get a really big kick out of of telling a story in a, in a really nice cohesive flow way i mean everyone's seen how the Zack, Zack snyder cut of uh, justice league actually was a lot better so maybe these people have got a smart idea not the ones who are chopping other people's work up if i could choose i'd probably want to become a racing driver or something like that drive cars fast but realistically i would lack the talent to necessarily do that so I probably would go into kind of engineering, as in building engineering, probably, or into data science. I'm always interested in numbers and stats and maths and things like that. I'm a bit of a weirdo. Thus the engineering side of things as well. Cool. Okay, let's move on to the next one from Steve D. Steve Denman. I believe you worked with him, Chris. Is that right? I did. Okay. Any tips for maintainability of automated test suites? And this is an area we've not covered on the podcast yet, have we? Test automation. 
Russell, I'll come to you first. Thanks. <laughs> Keep it simple. Keep it small so that tests aren't large, trying to test everything. Uh, kind of the two things I'd do. Try and use the same sort of techniques that your developers and others do to create maintainable code. So linting and other styling tools, for example, having code reviews, good code hygiene is kind of the first thing I would stick to. Also, I think is this test even needed? Because more often than not, there's a good chunk of tests that are actually there because someone doesn't trust something else somewhere. And I'd try and build that trust up. And then you've got a lot easier job maintaining anything. Um, it's a hidden problem in that sense. So that's what I would probably start with those. I would go with comment, document, naming convention, file structure, reusability, and transparency. Very succinct. I would say the same, but yeah, just to echo Russell's point and well, and Chris's, you know, comments certainly do help and also keeping it simple, keeping it small and actually don't build it far too big or too fast or have too many people, you know, have a structure and make sure it's planned beforehand. Um, and also any future changes to make sure it's planned and in the same way that it was previously written. Yeah, I mean, I would I would go back to what Russell Echo uh, said at the start there about the same coding standards for the test code as you do for the development code. I would say never do it, never do your automation in isolation. Where where possible, pair review as much as possible, communicate, whiteboard sessions with people, and make sure everyone's agreeing on the on the format because you don't want to be a single point of failure. You're the only person that can maintain the tests. So, a shared collaborative approach will definitely make, uh, be one step closer to making sure it's maintainable. Yeah, just remind me of something. Don't get the brightest person in the room to build it. Build it for the, lo the lower common denominators, not the top common denominators. It's a problem I've seen, which means the only the kind of the genius in the room can often fix it, maintain it or do any work in it. That won't work across teams. You need to make it so that just about anyone can pick it up and deal with it. Yeah, automated testing is not a time for showboating. So, um, Mirza Sisic, any advice for testing in a DDD project? Russell, do you want to tell us what DDD is? I'm assuming domain-driven design, but it could have multiple different meanings. Communication, 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 I think is what I would argue if, you, if you're testing in that world. You need to have a very common library, a common language. That's what it's all built around. So if you don't have that, you've got problems. So put a lot more emphasis in making sure that the domain is clear, understood, articulated. You've got models, designs, drawings, pictures, post-it notes, you name it whatever you want, help you understand that domain so that actually you can share it and have a common understanding. You can whiteboard it, share it, make sure you double check it so that everyone is on the same page. Doesn't look like anyone needs to add anything yeah. else on that. Very I, comprehensive. I, I would agree, yeah. Yeah, well, Russell, your question. And uh, this is another one from Ben, full snack tester. Um, what podcast do you listen to? Don't listen to any anymore. When I was listening to podcasts all the time, um, when I was commuting, remember those days? I was listening to A-B testing. I was listening to a bunch of retrospective pro wrestling podcasts. I listened to the football, totally football podcasts, a whole wealth of anything. Anything I found interesting, there was one called Bunny Ears by Macaulay Culkin. I know I was I was I was collecting podcasts. I was having a great time. My backlog's terrifying now, and I don't want to look at it. 
I'm trying to keep on top of my backlog. I've got it down to about 25. I listen to probably a podcast episode of something a day. My list at the moment includes things like Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Lockdown Parenting Hell, Ollicast, A-B Testing, Dadville, Humans Plus Tech, Potential in People, The Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast, Quality Sense Podcast. So yeah, there's a mixture of testing, tech, football, comedy, parenting, all that kind of fun stuff. I don't listen to any. It's very simple. The only one I listen to on a dog walk is the School of Calisthenics. Uh, easy to say, Calisthenics about body weight training, although they've changed it to body weight and movement. So you can see who the podcast listener is here then. I wonder who came up with the idea of doing a podcast. <laughs> ah, Sadi's question. So Sadi is someone that both Chris and myself worked with. It's a topical one. You did say, ask us anything. What steps can we take in our organisations to create empathetic communities that embrace all genders, race, age, etc.? What a question. This almost sounds like a podcast in itself. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Probably got some high level things. You're in a diversity and inclusion thing, Simon. Have you got a place to start on that? I think it comes down to the, the same things that we've mentioned on a few other things. Well, Russell mentioned it for the, the DDD stuff. It's it all comes down to open communication and transparency and making an environment that everyone feels included. That is easier said than done. There's a lot of biases, naturally, the way we do things and the way we, we think about things. And it's trying to reduce those biases by having the information around to allow you to understand more about other people. I can only go with the examples of the stuff that I push and I work with, which is the neurodiversity side. And to make a, an environment more inclusive for, for neurodiversity, it's making sure people are aware of what the conditions involve and what people may need. And that comes down to an individual perspective of everyone needs something different. And you need to be open enough to ask people, you know, what do you need? How can I help? Are you okay? Is a question that, you know, we need to be asking each other more and that will only help make people feel included i think for me there are two things firstly we shouldn't always take it on ourselves to to try and change the world and not change our organizations what we can do is support those people that are changing things in particular areas we ourselves as, as leaders can obviously as we covered in writing cvs and whatever make make our cvs and, and then employ people based on their ability to do their job or to add to the culture rather than fitting with the culture it isn't a tick box exercise for those those particular things what it is is finding the best people for that job and what they can add and that's what i would say is and i know we do have our biases but try and leave them at the door and look for the things that are important to you not necessarily looking at other things I would echo the bias thing. Try and make your unconscious bias conscious to bring them to life, talk about them, get training on them, make them awareness of them so they can be addressed because it slips into the smallest of things without realising it. Make a culture, live the culture by accepting the fact that we can all make mistakes, say the wrong word, occasionally offend somebody, be open to listening to that person and you know hearing perspectives of what it means to them and making changes because of it. If people see you adapt because... Or feedback you start to build that culture I agree with everything everybody said i was i attended a eurostar 
had an agile deep dive thing recently, and um, Selena Delessi was talking about a lot of being inclusive and empathetic is about allowing people to be in an open and safe and secure environment and to empower people to care. It's all right to care about things. She quoted uh, Jerry Weinberg saying, you've got permission to care about people. You've got permission to care about these things and to fight for them. And to, to have that sort of environment in which you work for, yes, we need to be educated, but you need to know that things that are important to you should be things that your colleagues should know and it should be all right for you to talk about. And it, it is about respect. It is about openness and communication and collaboration, all these, these good things and blame cultures and things like that suppress that looking for copy and paste of other things can suppress that focusing on uniqueness of people and actually celebrating that and embracing the best of ourselves in each other those are kind of the key highlights from that and i kind of it really resonated with me so yes that was that's kind of the, the last of our questions thank you everyone for their input we've probably got a few episode additional topics there that we can add to our trello board and refine and hopefully get around to recording so again thank you for that we've really enjoyed having this and anyone that got their stickers we hope you're enjoying them please please share on the socials so that we we get a bit of love on there as well and speaking of the socials as always you can reach out to us or at testing peers on twitter facebook instagram or contact us at testingpeers.com uh, if you feel like you want to support us we do have a patreon and we have a a small set of tiers on there so it's patreon.com slash testing peers other than that can only thank you for listening and thank you saffron qa for continuing to sponsor us and we'll speak to you again soon for now it's goodbye from the testing peers goodbye, goodbye.